Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. And I apologize already because I have allergies and <laughs> my voice is suffering today, so it's going to go in and out, I uh, think. you just sound sexy, Caitlin. Ooh, thank you. Hello. <laughs> that baby is not, no. <laughs> that wasn't great. Oh my gosh. That was the best. Well, hopefully I sound like that instead of like this. No, you don't sound like that. Yeah. I have a raspy voice. Yeah, right? (laughs) Uh, But it's just allergies. I don't feel sick. It's just, uh, because I have to sleep with the window open because it's so hot. We don't have AC. So it's just like, there's no winning. Yeah. Did you know last Monday, Salem, Oregon, was the second hottest place on earth. I read that, yeah. yeah. As opposed, Palm Springs, California was number one, really? which is in the desert. Yeah. And I think somewhere in the Middle East was number three. But <sighs> we hit that number two spot. Oregonians just, I don't, for me personally, I don't do well in the heat. We're, we're not, not used prepared. To it. No, we're not prepared. <laughs> we don't like, have AC here. I mean, like, a lot of places don't have AC. Yeah. I mean, I had my sweater like, just ready to go from three days before when it was chillier yeah. and it's like come on guys yeah it's too hot it it's was way too, too hot, hot. Ugh. Ugh. Just a cold ice shower like it was an i got as cold as i could do and just stood there it's great yeah. we have um a little wading pool that we just leave water running kind of all uh-huh. the time and that gets we have well water so it gets really really cold oh, nice. and that's nice so the dogs and i you know found a little respite from the heat with our little wading pool well it's good it was miserable it was well we find ourselves recording in the morning again yeah so So we decided to do mimosas yes classic you can't go wrong with a classic morning drink yeah what's in it michelle it's fucking champagne and orange juice we kept it we kept it real you know what i'm saying yeah should we have a little glass yeah it's not crystal it sounds cheap. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Is that what you said, Michelle? Thank you, my glasses. Are these are from Ikea? That's what they look like. Just because I have some. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they're... Oh my goodness, this Walmart, one Walmart, maybe? I think they're from Ikea. That's I don't what they know. look like. No? They're not from Ikea. Oh, well, they look just oh, like the ones from Ikea. Because, as I said, I have some. But these mimosas are delightful. I just forget how good mimosas, mimosas are. are. It's just so easy. Yeah. And, and it's like okay for you to drink them in the morning. Yeah. It's like <laughs> something like ex- acceptable about it. It's a permission slip to get drunk yeah, in the morning. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, all right. Okay. Mimosas aside, shall Mimosas we get aside. to your story? Yes. So my story is about Alcides Moreno. Okay. Alcides Moreno. And it is December 7th, 2007. Okay. And Alcides and his younger brother, Edgar, are window washers in New York City. Mm. I don't like the direction this story is going already. <laughs> On this day, they were set out to clean the windows of the 47th floor luxury solo tower building in the Manhattan's Upper East Side. I'm sorry if I said that wrong because I know it's bougie. It sounds bougie. It does sound bougie. So, I, I want to go stay there. I know, right? So they got to the roof. And the temperature was hovering around freezing, so it was really cold. Oh, so we're like in... Oh, December, of December. course, is what you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So they climbed on the 16 foot wide, 1,250 pound scaffold, but the cables holding it in place slipped from their attachment point. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So like up in the top? They They were on the roof. And they had the scaffold, and so they got on it, and they were about to descend when the cable came loose. Came loose. <laughs> oh, this is called my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the left side cable came off first, and that was the side that Edgar was on. Oh my gosh! So it's like like yep. hanging mm-hmm. one side down, and the other side still where it should be. Correct. Oh yes. my gosh. Okay. So the left side came off and actually Edgar fell off of it. So he's free falling down. What? Did Edgar die? Can you just tell us right now? Unfortunately, yes. Edgar did die instantly. He fell 472 feet and they estimated that he was traveling about 120 miles per hour. Oh my God. So that is really hard to survive. From. Yeah, clearly. Ah, so right onto a Manhattan street, which is not mm-hmm, soft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so not much long after that, the other cable came loose as well. Oh so my now gosh. he's in a free fall as well. I'll see. Do you know who will never become a window washer now? Is <laughs> Michelle. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but Alcides, what he did, he held onto the scaffold. He was like Holy shit, I just watched my friend free brother. fall. Oh, brother? Yes, yeah, his younger <gasps> brother. Oh, I don't think I realized yeah, that. Yeah, younger brother, Edgar. Oh my God. I know. Oh. Uh. This took on a whole new emotional <laughs> toll. So he's kind of riding it like a surfboard. Like, it is like falling. Oh my God. And they think, luckily, that there was like an updraft between the buildings and it kind of like, like slowed his fall lift him a bit. up a little bit. Yeah, kind of slowed him down a little bit from like the 120 miles per hour. Okay, so he is now on, still on the scaffold. Yes. And the whole thing is falling, mm-hmm. the whole contraption. Yep. And he's just hanging on for dear life after watching his brother plummet to his death. Yep. Oh, God. So the scaffold actually like struck a fence and just tangled up metal and stuff into the alleyway. Oh, my God. Firefighters and paramedics came to this horrific scene, (laughs) and they found Edgar, and he actually landed on a wooden fence, and his body was severed, (gasps) and there was just nothing they could do. He was already passed away at that time. Isn't that terrible? Yes, that is, in fact, very terrible. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even, like, uh, okay, but. That is gruesome as hell. Yeah. They found Alcides crouching among the pile of twisted metal, still clenching onto the scaffold controls. Yeah. Still clutching onto the scaffold controls, and he was still breathing. Oh, my gosh. So, he didn't hit the ground then. So, he came down, and then the cables got twisted up with right. some fencing cables. Yep. And just sort of, Yeah. So, it, and- it hit really Fast and hard, but he kept on. But yeah, everything like disintegrated. I mean, not oh. disintegrated, but like twisted around him and such. Alcide said that he tried to stand up after the fall, but was unsuccessful. So oh. he is just laying there. Oh my God. So they rushed him to the nearest hospital and induced him into a coma because he was so... Wow. He was having... Did he have a lot of injuries? Or? <laughs> I have a paragraph of his injuries. Oh, uh, my gosh. Okay. So, so he sustained injuries to his brain, spinal column, chest, and abdomen. He had fractures to his ribs, right arm, and both legs. He underwent 
16 surgeries to repair 10 broken bones, collapsed lungs, damaged kidneys, and blood clots in the brain. They had to insert a catheter into his brain to reduce the swelling. He received 24 pints of blood and 19 pints of plasma, which is enough to replace all the blood in his body twice. Wow. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Holy cow. Like, how is he alive? That, frankly. They, so, this actually, the doctor said... If you're looking for a medical miracle, this is certainly qualifies. <laughs> Look no further. You yeah. have found it. They honestly, they have no idea how he survived. Because oh, my gosh. We'll get to it. Okay. okay. So, oh, there's more? Yeah, well, no. Alcides woke up from his coma three weeks later on Christmas Day. <gasps> I know. Three weeks in a coma. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, he woke up and his wife was by his side. Aw. He states that... His mind was so blurry and he had no recollection of his fall itself. I understood that he must have died because I looked around and saw only me and my wife. Losing him is a big deal for me. Edgar lived with me in New Jersey and we shared a lot of things. He worked with me and he died working with me. Caitlin, I'm very <laughs> fragile right now. I'm, I'm so too sorry. emotional. No, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my God. What if Edgar was... Well, I'm sure Edgar was with him at some, oh, in some way, in some capacity. Absolutely. I think so. An investigation into the accident found that the scaffolding had it been properly maintained and that the new motorized cables which attached the window washing platform to the building had not been properly anchored to the roof. Oh my goodness. I would think as a window washer, you uh-huh. would be pretty crazy about checking everything. everything. Yeah. I mean, just because you're out on the outside of a GD building. Well, it's the same thing like like uh, skydivers. I'm sure they check their parachute, you know, but one... As we know, they don't always open. But an accident investigator also concluded that although Alcides had stepped onto the scaffold without wearing a safety harness, this did not prove that he had refused to use it, since he had also not retrieved his window washing equipment from the roof yet. Oh, so like they're saying he was still getting prepared to window wash for the day. Mm -hmm. And okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, after his stay in the hospital, he went to the Kessler Institute of Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey, to begin a long road of recovery. He did physical therapy to strengthen his legs and regain balance, occupational therapy for relearning tasks like grooming, hygiene, and dressing himself, Oh wow! speech therapy, and mental exercises to rebuild thinking skills and memory. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what I read recently? This what? is totally... Just thinking of thinking skills. Okay. No, I know. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, You know Malcolm from Malcolm in the Middle? Mm -hmm. I forget his name in real life. Um, Um, Anyway. Frankie Muniz. Yes. Thank you. We saw him in Florida. Did you really? Yeah, he was at the same restaurant we were at. (gasps) I know, right? I'm like, that's Frankie Muniz. You're practically famous. So I always, he sat like in the corner, like he sat in like a middle table and I always kept looking over just to be like, I don't know, like. Like, she looks cool. Yeah. Like, maybe. She looks fun. I want to hang out with them. It didn't happen, but yeah. What about him? I guess he has long-term memory issues yeah. and has no memory of filming, filming. Mac- oh, Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. Middle. Yeah. That's insanity to I read me. that too. Yeah. Oh, that would that'd suck. That would suck. Yeah, that would definitely like, suck. Like, this huge part of your life is just gone gone from you. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's, that's Okay. Sad. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, no, no. interrupt you. <laughs> 
He also underwent uh, psychotherapy to cope with his brother's death. Oh, yeah, of course. God. He states, I believe I felt melancholic for about three years. That's how long it took me to recover and accept his death. It was like losing a child because he was younger than me. Oh. I know. Both brothers' families, though, received a substantial compensation payout. Oh, well, that's something, Yeah, I guess. Something, you know. It doesn't bring his brother back. No. So they moved from New Jersey to Phoenix, Arizona. He said that the warm weather there is good for his bones. Mm. Well, I imagine, because I know, like, a lot of injuries and things, Uh like your joints, when it gets cold out, just ache and ache and ache. And there's almost nothing you can do. And so I would move to warm weather as well. And probably just... Being out of the city and being away from where your brother died. Absolutely. And, you know, all those memories. And, oh, yeah, so heartbreaking. So him and his wife actually had three kids that they moved, but they actually had a son. So he, they had another kid. Oh, so, they so had three baby kids number moved. four. Yep, baby number four came. And he states, I keep asking myself why I lived. I have a new baby. He must be the reason to raise this kid and tell him my history. Isn't that cute? My goodness. So, okay, only half of the people who fell, like, three stories survive. Ten stories, almost no one survives. So 47 stories is is unheard of. Yeah, uh, miraculous feat. So, you know, so it was, like, 400 and, sorry, let me see. 472 feet a football field is 360 feet so think of that like that he fell farther than a football field field. oh my gosh terrible so he's living his best life so he can't run he can only walk he can't work anymore he said that he would go back window washing he's not afraid of heights like he said he loved watching the suds on it and like squeezing it and look how beautiful the window is like he just found something really i will say there is something very satisfying about a freshly washed window Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what he said. He's like, I'm still not afraid of heights, which I would totally be Yeah, I'd be afraid scared. of heights. For the, I'm, I'm afraid of heights right now. Right. And <laughs> there's sometimes where you get to the edge of a cliff in a video game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, don't fall. <laughs> it like, no, absolutely. gives me a total physical reaction through my whole body. Can you imagine like VR? Oh, being no. Being in a video game like that? Ugh. Oh, my God. But... I did VR, like did the horror game. <gasps> For approximately three seconds. Like, <laughs> I put it on. There was, like, a kid's bed or something uh-huh. in a kid's room. And it's like, you know something was going to pop out of you. So I put it on, saw the room, felt like something was going to pop out at me, and immediately took it off. I was done Fair forever. Enough. Fair enough. I'm I done with do VR. <laughs> same. I, I, I bet I would do the same. But uh, what were we talking about? I guess falling? Who can say? Oh, yeah. Like, he... (laughs) But he just... I mean, he can't work. He has been so... He has so many scars over his body. You know, he's very happy he can at least walk. I mean, and he can be in, you know, his kids' lives and still be alive. But, yeah. That freaking sucks. So... (sighs) 
my dad had a friend. They both went to Vietnam. Uh-huh. And he, his friend, my dad joined the Air Force because he knew that he was going to be drafted. Oh. Um, and so his friend ended up getting drafted. Uh-huh. He did not sort of pre-enlist, so he oh, wouldn't okay. be drafted. But he ended up getting drafted, put in the Army, put in the infantry, got sent over to Vietnam, got shot in the head. <gasps> And Whoa. he had to completely learn how to talk. Mm. I guess he was like a genius level oh, like wow. student and things. Yeah. I mean, he was just really, really smart. And he just lost all of that. He wow. turned like a little bit crazy and a little bit malicious, I guess. Um, I mean, he was always like still super good friends yeah. with my dad. But he would just show up at these really random times just... He was a bizarre friend, but Aww. he just was, I, I mean, of course you're never the same, but Absolutely. he just, his whole personality changed. Mm. Everything about him changed. That's a hard, I mean, brain injuries, man. The brain Ugh. is so crazy. It really is. <sighs> so I, I don't know, I was interested about these jobs. So I like looked up like the top 18 most dangerous jobs in the world. Oh, is window washer like number one? No, I don't think it was even on here, honestly. Okay, let me see. I'm shooting it up there. So, I mean, these are not in order. These are just oh, listed. Oh, just random. So we have, straps. like, underwater welders. Oh, yeah. Or- I've actually... <laughs> I, Joel's uh, stepbrother, I think, is an underwater oh, welder. Shit. Yeah, that's... Uh, hmm. Oil field workers, roofers, mm. deep sea fishermen... Uh, we have, um, we had a guy come and do our roof and he's a friend of the family uh and he's this older gentleman who just, it was insanity to me because he's got to be like 65, 70 or something. Mm. And he would just take these giant sheets of plywood, these four by eights, hold them and just walk up the ladder. And apparently he's fallen off the ladder or fallen off roofs because he's a roofer, if that was not clear. He's fallen off like yeah. six or seven times and broken bones and things. And yeah. it just doesn't bother him. He just He's still just gets the up job. there. Yeah. That's crazy. Did I say roofers or did you, you did say okay. roofers? Yeah, <laughs> that's like, where I got on it? the roofing. That's so funny. You're like, bitch, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, structural iron and steel workers. Oh, aircraft gosh. pilot and flight engineers. Bull riders. Mm, yeah. Farmers. We've heard a lot of. There was a farmer stories. who just recently died because of the heat. Really? Yeah. There, OSHA. You have a story for each one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling anymore because personal just... stories are going to be coming out. Uh, miners. You got one for that? Obviously, but I'll keep it quiet. <laughs> no, I do have one about the steel worker. Oh my, my grandpa. God. Okay. That's what he was. He was lost he? his pinky. Please off. <laughs> I'll be quiet. (laughs) That's a, like, that's, yeah. Truck and sales drivers. uh, Stuntmen and stuntwomen. Oh. Ground maintenance workers. What? They said these workers had the 10th most dangerous job in 2016 and 217 total fatalities reported. Most workers died from transportation, transportation accidents, while others were the result of falls, being struck by loose objects, and being electrocuted. Good heavens. Private investigators, lumberjacks. Oh, God. I have a lot of stories about that. I'm sure Because that's Joel's dad was a... My um, uncle was a lumberjack, yeah. too. He had to run down a hill on a shattered leg because a tree was falling a different way. And, oh, oh gosh. No, um, 
Joel's dad had his best friend killed right in front of him <gasps> oh because my gosh. it was because um, sometimes I guess trees will sort of grow into each other. Yeah, girl, I just watched her <laughs> spill her mimosa all over her face, and I wish I could say that I hadn't done the same thing earlier, yeah. <laughs> but I did. So you're all good. Sorry, continue. No, but I guess and so those trees sort of hold a lot of energy like sort of kinetic energy Uh that as soon as they're cut they can sort of whip around the actual tree so like we had these ivy branches grow around our tree Mm -hmm. and the ivy like root ended up being like fucking three inches wide i mean yeah so when joel cut that it like sort of whipped around but when his joel's dad's friend cut it it whipped around and just hit him right in the head (gasps) and killed him instantly oh yet another one where he was like the oh you put the chain on Uh the trees so they get lifted up and out and he got like his pant leg stuck in the chain Uh and he got lifted up and then he fell and ended up falling like 40 feet and killed lumberjacking is wildly yeah dangerous absolutely be careful, guys. The last one. So, uh, window washers were not on there. So, likely people don't, you know, die that often, that often of window washing to make it on this list. But what did the last thing was a uh, vets. Really? Uh, well, m- mostly in Australia, they said that employees are four times more likely to suicide. What? Yeah. Because they have the most crazy animals come in and I just can't deal with this. I I guess so. I don't know. But studies don't pinpoint like one specific reason for the high suicide rate. But factors including high stress, emotional hardships associated with like. um, Having to put put down down an animal. Financial strain. Just a few um, obstacles in this uh, profession. But yeah, it's uh, specifically Australian uh, vets. Oh. So maybe don't do, be a vet. I don't know. Well, I couldn't do a vet. I love animals so much, and I was thinking about being a vet when I was a kid, but there was a show to watch every morning, and it was about, like, uh, a vet, like, saving animals. But some of them, like, they had to put them down, and yeah. I would just lose my mind. And my mom's like, I can't send you to school. <laughs> I can't feel good about you being a vet if this is the situation every Saturday morning. Exactly, yeah. Just, uh, no, I'm like, just, like... It was every day before, like, school school. Oh, like my I see. Elementary school. It's just like, you can't, that's where my anxiety started, I think. You're not a, you're not allowed to watch that anymore. <laughs> yeah. My God, poor little Caitlin I know, crying right? in the morning. Oh, my little heart is breaking for you with your little short curly haircut. Oh, my gosh. That wasn't then. It was elementary school. Save it. No, no one's buying school. it. Uh, <sighs> but, yeah. So, I think Alcides is, hopefully, I mean, he has a new baby. I think he, Things are looking up for him. So, and luckily, you know, his family is being taken care of because they did get a settlement, which is good, which is something at least so they can live their lives. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm sure he was wishing that he was still window washing with Edgar, though, mm-hmm. over living in Arizona with oh, a bunch of absolutely. money. So, oh, well, speaking of Australia, oh. that's where my story comes from. So, we are actually in December as well. Oh, interesting. But back in 1963. Oh, very So, we're a little bit different. of a ways away. 
Um, I'm just going to stop us really quick because okay. Caitlin has the cutest fucking hat on. <gasps> Thank you. It's like a sun hat and I love it. I love, I never had a sun hat before. And I'm You're jealous right of yours. Well, now you just got to like head out to the deck with your mimosa. mimosa. It's perfect. It is perfect. Thank you. All right. <laughs> it's a Sorry. random sun hat in You're the like, middle. Whatever. Just sitting inside. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah. It works. No, hats look nice on you. Thank you. You always look good in those little, like, stocking hats. I don't know quite. Yeah, a beanie. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wow, showing your age there, Michelle. (laughs) Stocking cap. (laughs) That's what Scrooge wore to bed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Back to Rodney Fox. That's who this story is about. Oh, okay, great. Rodney Fox. Back to Australia. Little fortifying sip of mimosa. Yeah. Now we're off. Okay. So the story, of course, is about Rodney Fox and his, and it's in December of 1963. Yes. And we are in Australia, as I mentioned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like, bitch, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Okay. He took off at 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Okay. And his wife, he actually left behind because she was expecting a baby. Oh. Um, so, and the doctor told her firmly that she could not go out because she was having a little bit of a riskier. So, like, bedridden? Pregnancy. Almost, yeah. but I don't think quite. Like, right. don't do a lot of traveling at I this see. point. And so, uh, what Rodney is doing is he has entered a fishing competition. Fishing, okay. Yeah, so the plan is he headed to a beach, which was two hours away okay. from where he lived, and sort of the plan is, is they all do this sort of diving around this reef. Okay. And it's a lot of where you're just air diving. I don't know quite what to say. You don't have scuba or anything like that. Oh. You just take a lot of deep breaths and dive down. Oh, and then okay. they're doing spear fishing underneath. Oh, this is a different competition I was thinking. Yeah. No, this is like a underwater spear fisherman's competition. Whoa. And so they have like a certain amount of time. Like it starts at 9 a.m. And I think they have until 2. Oh, wow. Um, okay. To gather the most weight of fish as well as the most the widest variety of fishes oh okay so you don't want to get all of one fish because you'll not win but if you get all these different kinds of fishes and also have the most weight you'll win wow so that's kind of the style of this competition so there's 40 of them all doing this competition so they each have their black rubber suits and flippers on They've got masks and snorkels and some, like, sort of weighted belts. Okay. And they're spearfishing guns. And then they all jump in and head to the bottom. So, at this point, Rodney's feeling pretty confident okay. that he's going to do well. He had taken the competition in 61-62, so he had already won. And so, he's wow. coming back as reigning champion. Okay, yeah, I would feel pretty confident. I probably would, That's too. a lot of pressure, too, though. And he had actually promised his wife that this would be his last competition. Oh, before you know, the baby before comes. Before the baby comes and everything. He was hoping to clinch that title... Have glory to his name and then be able to go home and have a baby. All right. Yeah. I like it. So at the time, um, Rodney was 23 and he was in peak shape because he had been training Mm -hmm. this whole time. And all the contestants, like I said, were free divers. So they had no scuba or anything. They had snorkels Uh for the top of the water. 
But if they had to dive down, they had to do it completely on their own wind. Okay. So at this point, he had been able to dive down about 90 feet. That's fun. And he could hold his breath for 90 minutes without... Or, Whoa, my God. 90 seconds? One minute. Okay. <laughs> Not 90. One Good minute. Lord. 60 seconds or 90 seconds? 60 seconds. Oh, okay, okay. He could hold his breath for more than a minute without any discomfort. Cool. That's where I was trying to That's go for That's impressive, it. man. So the whistle blasts. Yeah. And the competition starts. So they all sort of wade out into the surf at once. And each man had a float behind him. So it was sort of attached to his belt. So they could see where all the different people were. Mm. So even when they were diving down, they could still see the float on top of the surface and be able to determine where all the different uh, competitors are. Okay. So they would attach their fish also to these floats immediately after spearing them and then they would sort of send them to the top and they would hope that the blood didn't attract other predators oh obviously well not obviously but dun 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 who knows what's gonna happen who knows so they're always concerned about um the predatory sharks like the great whites and that type of thing. Right. And that they prowl the deeper waters of the South Australian coast. And then there was the lesser sharks, like the bronze whaler or gray nurse, that are fairly familiar to skin divers. Like they see them all the time and Uh they are not aggressive. Oh, okay. So it's like no big deal if they see them. But if they see something like a great white, then that's, of course, way more concerning. But fortunately, great whites or white death sharks, as they call them, were caught by professional fishermen in the open ocean and rarely seen by skin divers. Oh, so that's good. So they apparently just don't really head to that area very often. Uh, but still, as a precaution, they had a boat that was patrolling for sharks oh, good. all the while. The day was bright and hot. They would dive down and visibility would be really poor, uh-huh. as I said, because of the previous day's strong winds. And that makes things a little bit more difficult as a spear fisherman because sure. I guess... Uh, they wouldn't even know the fish was there until they were, like, right on it. Oh. And then it just wasn't enough space to be able to get the spear through mm. or whatever. I've not done a lot of spear fishing myself. <laughs> so by 1230 that day, he had just towed in a heavy catch of parrotfish, snapper, snook, boarfish, and magpie perch to the beach. And he could see that there was other large piles from the competition and he was just like i gotta get more like this Mm, isn't gonna cut it yeah so at this point he had 14 different species whoa it was 12 35 the competition closed at two fish was growing more and more scarce around the reef because they had 40 different people under their spear Mm -hmm. fishing so clearly and the fish are probably this is like a bloodbath we gotta (laughs) get the hell out so he decided to go a little bit further out to try to get bigger game and more fish. So on his last swim from the section where the reef was, there was a part that plunges from about 20 feet to closer to 60 feet. Oh, wow. And he had spotted quite a few large fish near this big sort of triangular shaped rock that he was sure he could find again if he like had to go back to the beach and put more fish oh, away. Okay. He could come back out and then find See this it. rock okay. again. So there was two fish that he uh, actually didn't have yet. The dusty moorwongs or strong fish. 
and some other kind of fish. I don't know. It actually doesn't say. But anyway, these were large fish, and they were going to, like, tip the scales in his favor as far as being able to win this competition. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he was going to just go for it. So he swam out to a spot that he picked, and then he rested his face down below, breathing through the snorkel as he sort of studied Mm -hmm. his surroundings. And... He took, he sort of saw the fish down there, so he took a series of deep breaths, getting ready to dive down. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I feel like I have to do a lot of deep breathing <laughs> myself. So he took several large deep breaths, he held one, swallowed it to lock it in, okay. as he says, and he turned over and dived down. And so he swam down and forward. So he would slowly sort of gradually descend on him so oh, the fish wouldn't know he was there. He didn't just go, like, right down to the fish. He's he's experienced. Yeah, he's, like, know what he, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so just, like, less than 15 feet away, he sees these, like, giant fish that he's getting ready to go for. They're, like, munching on some weeds. Mm. And so he glided forward, sort of hoping to come close for a shot, His arms were extended in front of him as he was swimming. He had his left hand out in front of him, and his right hand was holding his gun, which was loaded with a stainless steel shaft and barb. Wow. His spear gun. He was drifting easily over the weeds, and he had lined up for a perfect shot, but all of a sudden there was this, like, hush that came over everything. He said there was a sudden silence that... Even though it was already super quiet down there, it, like, got even more quiet. Interesting. He's, like, having a hard time kind of describing it. But then all of a sudden, this huge, tremendous thing hit him on his left side and heaved him through the water. Oh. So this thing was pushing him forward at a wild speed. He became immediately nauseous, and the pressure on his back and chest were immense. Oh, my gosh. He felt like his... The insides on his left sides were being squeezed over to his right side. Yeah, I know. He had lost his face mask, and so he couldn't see anything. His spear gun was being violently knocked out of his hand, and the pressure on his body seemed like it was choking him. Whoa. So he's just like, what the hell is going on? So he tried to sort of shake himself loose, but he felt like he was clamped down in a vice. And at this point, he still doesn't fully know what's going on. And then his sort of mind came into focus and he realized that, in fact, a shark had him in his jaws. Holy shit. So he was getting ready to kill these other Uh fish. Shark came out of nowhere, grabbed his whole left side and took off with him. Whoa. So he couldn't see the shark, but he knew it had to be huge. Uh, the teeth had closed around his chest and back oh with God. his left arm sort of over the shark's head. He was being thrust face down ahead as they raced through the water. Okay. So it's like, I guess his face is kind of towards the oncoming water. Oh, If that I makes see. sense. So he's just I think so, yeah. like got a lot of pressure of yeah. the water sort of coming at him. So he was super dazed and sort of in, in a shock, complete probably. state of horror. Yeah. yeah, and in shock because he felt no pain. So, so weird. I know. Isn't that weird? Is I mean, so you're weird. in a whole bunch of teeth yeah. and yet you don't feel any pain. There, He said there was no 
sharp feeling at all except for the crushing pressure uh, on his chest and back. Interesting. Where the actual teeth were. He stretched his arms out behind him and groped towards the monster's head. That's what it says. Shark's head. (laughs) And then suddenly the pressure was gone. Oh. The creature or... The shark. The shark, yeah. (laughs) The shark had relaxed its jaws and he sort of pushed himself away from the shark. But his right arm... Just went straight into the shark's mouth. Oh, no. I know. And so the shark sort of chomped Ah. down again. But he was able to sort of wrench his arm loose. Okay. But that's when he started feeling pain. Yeah. That's when the pain hit in. He said he felt pain like he had never imagined. Oh. He had succeeded in freeing himself. But he knew the shark was going to come back, you know, because now there's probably blood all through the water and everything. So he felt a fin brush the flipper, his Ah! own flippers. And then he felt the fin like brush his knees. And what he ended up doing is he wrapped his arms and legs around the shark, kind of like riding him. Yeah, a little bit riding him. He's hoping that he'll just kind of be away from the jaws of the shark is what it sounded like he ended up getting uh scraped along the bottom of the ocean and like along some rocks and then he was shaken violently from side to side so i guess at this point actually he's sort of half riding and his part of his right arm is actually still still in the jaws Mm. He kept trying to push away and push away with whatever remaining strength that he had. And also... Holding your breath. Yeah. And also to get to the surface because all the while this is underwater. Yeah. So he finally was able to get to the surface. And he said the water around him was just completely red. Oh my god! Just blood everywhere. And he saw the shark come up, breach the surface a few, like, probably like 10 feet away or so. And he said it was like a great rolling tree trunk, but the color of rust because of all the blood. Oh, And it gosh. had a huge fin and uh, the whole thing. Oh. And it was clear at this point, now that he could see it, that it was in fact a great white. Oh, oh. my gosh. Here was the white death itself. <laughs> right upon them. So the shark started moving towards him. Yeah. And terror just enveloped him completely he was uh alone because he was a ways away from the rest of the contestants and he was just essentially a squirming piece of meat on the top of the ocean (laughs) so he was like the shark's getting ready to attack me again so he was worried that he would die in agony while his little his wife and unborn baby would be left without him And he was like, nah, nah, man. And so he got ready to kick the monster in the head. So he got himself sort of prepared and ready to go. Yeah. And the shark is coming at him. He's getting ready. He's getting ready. And then all of a sudden the shark veers off. And then what he saw was his fish in the float started moving rapidly across the water, which he's still attached to. But there's some slack in the line. Okay. So he sees it. And then all of a sudden the slack in the line tightened 
and it got pulled forward. Oh my gosh. So the shark is like, you taste gross. Look at all these fish right here. Look at all these plump, delightful fish yeah. that you already killed for me. I'm going to eat those instead. But you're attached, so I'm just going to take you yeah. with it. You're coming. So he got pulled forward and then back underwater. So he realized that the shark had swallowed the fish and oh. the float. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at that point. And instead of him, which was great. Yeah. But now he is tangled Tangled. in the line, as is the shark. The shark Uh. is also tangled in the line. So now he's just trying to fight with his weight belt to try to release himself Mm -hmm. from that float. But he just couldn't find the buckle. Oh, of course. So at this point, he's getting towed still. And he's moving at probably close to 20 miles an hour. Whoa. <laughs> and just at the service. And he's still just trying to fumble with that. And he was kind of at that point where it's like, well, I guess I'm going to drown. Like, yeah. I can't get this line uh-huh. to release yeah. or anything. But then a miracle finally occurred and the line broke. Oh, wow. And so he was free, and all he could do, he got to the surface, and he just started yelling, shark, shark. And that was enough to get the boat and everyone over to him, and they got over to him. And at that point, he had given up trying to remove and relied on them to give him a hand. And they're like, hang on, mate. Should I try to do that in Australia? Yeah, please. Hang on, mate. No. (laughs) I was like your cowboy. Hang on. I don't know. Fosters. (laughs) Fosters. <laughs> Hang on. No. That's closer. <laughs> Hang on, mate. No, I can't do it. Uh, uh, that's just... You can decide if you want to keep that in or not. Uh, I'll let you make that call. <laughs> Hang on, mate. Stop. It's over. <laughs> I can't do it. All our Australians... Oh, they're really like, just... turn off. <laughs> oh, we're going to get a oh my mad email later. So the men in the boat were horrified at his injuries. I bet. As they're speaking in an Australian accent, telling them to hang on. So his right hand and arm were so badly slashed that the bones were visible. Um, His chest, back, left shoulder, and side were deeply gashed. Large pieces of flesh had been torn, exposing parts of his uh, rib cage, lungs, and upper stomach. Oh my gosh. So police were manning the highway several miles away and they were able to get an ambulance to him in record time. So, and by the time he arrived at the hospital, like surgery was ready to go. Mm -hmm. They were all scrubbed up. And so they just brought him essentially from the ambulance right into the OR. Mm -hmm. So he's ready for surgery. And he said he remembered watching this huge silver light overhead grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. The next thing he recalls, though, is opening opening his eyes and seeing his wife and his mother on the side Aww. of his hospital bed. Yay. He said, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> his wife, Kay, was crying, but the doctor came over and said, he's going to make it. Oh, so good. Okay. They were all relieved. So Rodney ended up receiving... 462 stitches on his chest and 92 in his arm. He had a year of intense rehabilitation Mm. and he eventually returned to the sea. He continued to skin dive, though not competitively. And he does have a fear of sharks now. Absolutely. um, But he doesn't want to see them senselessly killed. So it's just like live and let live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll do their thing. I'll do my thing. We'll just keep out of each other's way. Yeah. 
The attack actually inspired him to learn more about sharks oh. and to help others do the same. And during a trip to the zoo in 1964, while he was watching caged lions, he was sort of inspired to create the protective steel cage that you can now... He invented that? Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. So now divers can float inside a cage while they have sharks, like, attacking the outside of the cage. While remaining safe from shark attacks. I'm trying to convince Nick to do that in Hawaii. Uh, I would rather fucking die. You've lost your goddamn mind, (laughs) Caitlin. Take your hat off. You don't deserve it. Oh, nah. That's not for me. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't even. The thought of scuba diving makes me want to throw up, let alone hanging out with sharks in general. So in 1965, he led the first ever shark cage experience. Wow. Um, where uh, actually that footage from that experience was used to make the film Attacked by a Killer Shark. I've never seen that. Um, I haven't seen that either. And then a decade later, he was actually approached by the producers of Jaws um, and was requested help in filming live underwater footage with Great Wise. So today he is 78 and continues to dive both recreationally and professionally. Uh, the attack ultimately gave him a view into another world. He has consulted on more than 80 films and has traveled the globe giving lectures about sharks and his relationship to them and meeting wonderful people along the way. That's awesome. That was it. Oh my gosh. So his like tragic, horrific story turned into something like a profession. Yeah. Straight up. And really... I think changed the way that we experience sharks mm-hmm. probably from then on. I mean, yeah. Without him, we wouldn't have those damn underwater cages. To go That's see insane. That's Still. so cool. Never. Never? I will now. Why? You're safe. Are you? Are you? Have you heard of a, a cage being. Let's look that shit up right now. <laughs> I'm going to fucking <laughs> iPhone that shit right now. Okay, there sure is a few instances. Yeah, it's like all dead, every single one. <laughs> uh, shark Dude, how cage cool would that be? Experience deaths. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no one has ever died Whoa. by shark attack in a shark cage diving accident. There you go, Michelle. See? Wow! The closest to death anyone has ever come on record uh-huh. to death during a, sh- a cage dive with a shark was in 2005, when a British tourist in South Africa was attacked by a great white while in the cage. Okay, so it was one near death experience. But that's in it. A cage. That's See? wild. I Do just you feel better like now. Eighty percent died or no. something. Michelle, <laughs> I don't feel Full better. Proof. No, you don't. <laughs> no. You just googled it. I don't care. Do you turn my phone off? <laughs> Rodney, you did a good job. Good job. I guess. See, you questioned his design. I know. I shouldn't have. You I shouldn't, shouldn't have. have. Oh well. Whatever. Well, good job, Rodney. <laughs> That's awesome. You created. He Fox. created experience for everyone. Yeah, I mean, he had, in a lot of ways, kind of changed the world. Yeah, he did. That's crazy to me. It is crazy. But uh, those those are good stories. I mean, they kind of tied because they're both in December, which we. I almost did a story that would have tied to yours oh, a little yeah? bit closer. I'm going to save it for another time, oh, so okay, I won't okay. give any hints. But um, I was like, no, I want to do something that's a little bit more warm because it's so freaking warm it's out. So it's so hot, Actually, yeah. technically 4th of July. 
We're going to be partying, watching maybe some fireworks, but they're all banned, so who knows. They're not banned in Salem, are they? I just figured they were banned everywhere in no, Oregon. No, just in Portland. Oh, is that right? I think so, yeah. Oh, Salem. well. It's fine. Hell. I know. We're going to burn it down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I shouldn't say that, because uh, if it happens, that'd be shitty. Well, we hope you had a good 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so we hope you enjoyed the story. Please check us out on um, Instagram and Facebook and our website, I should totally be dead right now, dot com, And, yeah. Enjoy us- some classic mimosas. This yeah, you, have. you really can't go wrong with that. So I think we've just gotten drunker and drunker as the morning has gone by. Well, yeah, because we can't, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We have. Yes. And yes. Once we popped that second bottle, we knew we were in trouble. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.